Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. A lot of live action tonight, so as we normally do on a Friday evening, we'll roll you through some NBA with the Mavericks and Lakers as the marquee matchup going on right now. But some news coming down in the NFL that is not about changing anything that happened. It's about changing things moving forward. And it does come, again, on the same day in which I join you nationally here on Espination Radio in the same week in which I launched a local column here in Philadelphia on phillyvoice.com that spoke specifically about what the ruling was. I knew what was going to come down, which was nothing, from Roger Goodell, the NFL front office, on the hit from Jadavion Clowney on Carson Wentz. And even beyond that, offering up a solution. It wasn't just railing on, destroying, calling hypocrisies out and everything else that entails the typical echo chamber of Twitter. Look, I succumb and fall to it as well where I put out a tweet that I knew was going to get a lot of, and already saw it, negative responses from Seahawks fans, positive responses from Eagles fans, and Cowboys fans and Giants fans would hate it, and fans that didn't give a crap about the Eagles or just watch them from a distance, would like it. I knew that's just the nature of social media. But when it comes to other platforms that aren't as polarizing and just ridiculously surface as Twitter, there are merits, at least, to calling out hypocrisies, even if still you yourself are a hypocrite. And that was the basis, the foundation of my tweet and the foundation of the article, which will be, look, Nobody's asking, demanding, yelling at you to stop watching football, to stop watching the NFL. It wasn't the case I was on for another network when the whole document shredding, boiler room crap was going on. Nobody was saying stop then. But be aware, at the very least, be aware of the hypocrisy. Yeah, we'll call them out, but I'll at least offer up a solution. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. So yeah, I'm upset like I know a lot of people here in Philadelphia are, and I'm going to qualify the statement by not demanding or even expecting anything in my fit of rage at the time or even after the fact that anything would be returned to me or come back as a result of such. Lakers, by the way, pounding Dallas right now towards the end of the first quarter, 35-21. And as you know, this is what we do on a Friday night. If you ride with us, Jack's now in the house. So welcome aboard, my friend, to the in-game ups and downs of the second level because – 
after I go off on what I think should be at least discussed from a creative standpoint, and I'm going to have to just let out my frustrations, but even after that, at least I'll offer up a solution. This game itself is going to provide a very interesting in-game number if, in fact, the Lakers can extend this lead with about a minute 30 or so left. And here's the thing. I'll say this first and foremost. We have the technology to fix it. We do. Sean Payton has already shown us the way. And before anybody comes in with the slippery slope argument, before anybody comes out and says, well, if you start there, imagine where you'll go. Then what? Then we'll be replaying fill-in-the-blank. We've already reached that point. The NFL has already started the downward motion of whatever it is that's going down that slippery slope. If it's a rock, if it's a boulder, if it's a body, whatever it is. That began last year. When you were able to challenge and replay offensive pass interference or the lack thereof. That began the slippery slope because that argument was made for that rule change. Well, what are you going to do? Holding? What are you going to do now? Defensive holding? Are you going to start looking at other penalties? False starts? Are you going to look at everything else that now any type of flag you can throw? So I'll say this. Before you even begin to look at the isolated incident of Jadavion Clowney and Carson Wentz, understand that there is a solution. And I want to start with that because Sean Payton opened up the door. And to be fair, and let me credit my guy Mike Savage, 610 on the Twitch channel, Mason Aton. His comment is Doug and Howie also responsible for the lack of fine disciplinary action that came down on Jadavion Clowney. Lakers up 15 with a minute to go in the first. Doug Howie also responsible. Rodgers broke his collarbone and bitched until they made a rule. Doug and Howie sat back, chose to not take a fine. Sean Payton lobbied that committee, and he's on technically the owners for months, just badgering and complaining and whining about a pass interference call. And, yeah, there's some sweet irony, karma, whatever term you want to apply to what happened at the end or just unfortunate ending to the Saints. I don't have any personal vested interest in them failing, but I did think that there was some kind of odd connection to what happened this previous offseason and the fact they didn't even review a play of all things. But that just goes to show you two different means to the same end. The NFL has technology. The NFL has availability. The NFL chooses to ignore both when it's convenient. And when it's convenient doesn't necessarily mean you have to attach some sort of crazy conspiracy to it. Like, oh, they really wanted the Seahawks to advance. The Philadelphia Eagles were not going to get Carson Wentz back in that football game if there was a flag thrown, if Clowney was ejected on the spot. They were not. And most likely... Even still, with the heroics of Josh McCown playing with a torn ligament and the bone, the meat on that ligament or bone, whatever it was that he tore, coming off of it and playing through that and nearly leading a game-tying, pending a two-point conversion drive, Eagles weren't winning that football game without Carson Wentz. And even still, we weren't sure 
here in Philadelphia if he would have been available for the next game. So I'm not trying to write revisionist history. And a fine or disciplinary action doesn't mean equal, I feel better about the loss. I'm separating the two. I can separate the two. But before you even look at how the NFL missed something so obvious and how it continues to heighten and spotlight their hypocrisy when it comes to head injuries, especially concussions, You've already seen multiple examples of the NFL at least trying or the optics out there publicly of them trying to move in a right direction addressing something, even if it is non-injury related like pass interference or what you saw last year with Sean Payton and a rule change. Even then, when available and an opportunity arises, like the playoffs, for example, they still refuse to use the technology. So even if I got a victory today and somebody from the front office turned around and said, you know what, Shander, you're right. Your idea, as you can read it on phillyvoice.com, just see my name, Aton Shander, in the sports section, it's right there. It's the only article that's up of mine this week. And after you see the Eagles stuff, you'll see something about Sean Payton. And, yeah, it took a little shot that Payton went through everything he did, dragged us through, Everything that happened last year, the discussions and radio conversations, etc., about everything with the Saints and how much they had the right to bitch and the Super Bowl was bogged down by it. I was there. It was just enough is enough. You wanted to move on from it. Atlanta felt like it was taken over by Saints fans outside, of course, of all the radio stuff. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking in that column mentioned, and I'm going to reiterate it here. All the NFL needs to do is one simple thing. At Shander Shows, how you get me on Twitter. Maze and Aton is the Twitch channel. SB Nation Radio, SBNationRadio.com. You do this. You apply the same reviewable technology to head injuries, and you combine the targeting rule in college, and I'm saying combine, not take. There's a difference. I'll explain with what's already being replayed and the process in which it's already being replayed in the NFL. You have a replay official in the booth, or if you want to send this back to New York, whatever the idea may be, that's fine. It doesn't always need to happen in real time. And in fact, especially if the player is taken off the field, well, you then have the ability to allow play to continue because the player ain't out there anyway while this thing is being reviewed. And no, I'm not suggesting that a flag would come down five minutes later because of review, but an ejection might if it's ruled that there was targeting, if it's ruled by an official that intent is coming down. And we've seen this in college where they stop and they replay and they review and then they decide intent. I'm not even saying stop. I'm saying, look, they got Carson Wentz off the field. Josh McCown is out there as the backup quarterback. Jadavion Clowney is still playing. And then five, six minutes later in real time, somebody either up in that booth in Philadelphia or in New York looks at that and says, okay, we've deemed that an illegal hit. An illegal hit. Forget intent, head-to-head, helmet-to-helmet, if you're truly talking about removing that from the game. Then a hit like that with the ability of slow motion, now you go back and you apply it and say, okay, 
that right there is a guy who's going down. And no, he wasn't sliding or diving in that case. All you need to do is just look at the replay of the play. It's up there on Twitter. The guy was tackled by his feet and was going down. So let's examine the terminology that's used to refute my statement, which is Carson Wentz, that hit on Jadavian Clowney, should have been reviewed and at that time should have been deemed as a helmet-to-helmet hit. Flag was missed, okay. Clowney, at that time, you have justification to argue Clowney should have been ejected for that hit, targeting, if you will. It's not a rule in the NFL, but that's what I'm saying is you have the technology to apply that in slow motion. Just like you would apply the same technology if a football crosses a goal line or if a football made it past the one-yard line or the 48-yard line. Just like you would have the same technology to apply to see if, in fact, the ball hit the ground before somebody secured it. You have the ability to see if, in fact, Jadavion Clowney led with his head or led with his shoulder. And you know what the response I get constantly, constantly, when you see that replay up on Twitter or it's discussed locally here in Philadelphia by people who either root for the Cowboys locally or just hate, self-loathe their city, or people that listen to me on other platforms, is, well, it happened in real time. Bang, bang. Nobody's going to see that in real time and say, well, he led with his head. That's why you have the technology. And guess what, guys? The technology is already being applied. It's already right there. All you have to do is apply the same exact technology in the same exact game that you have. You you guarantee that there are going to be things replayed in an NFL football game, especially in the playoffs. You think that there's going to be a football game coming up that nothing will be replayed? And I don't even mean challenged. I just mean replayed. You're going to see it up on television. You're going to see that somebody in the booth, wherever the games may be played, is going to look at something again and again and say, no, you know what, it's fine, keep moving, no flag, pick it up. We see it applied all the time. And let's take it a step further as far as ball carrier is concerned and as far as, well, Carson Wentz has given himself up or Carson Wentz is no longer a quarterback and he's turned into a running back. Like, there is some application of this rule that only applies to Carson Wentz or only applies to the quarterback. Freddie Mitchell, former Eagle, love him. Fred X, people's champ. Quoted the tweet that I put out a couple of days ago at Shander Show about the NFL hypocrisy of that video not getting anything. And again, the latest is no fine. And he said in the tweet, and I'm just paraphrasing in the moment, That it's selective. The application of this rule and what I'm saying about the NFL and head injuries is selective. And he meant about quarterbacks. And look, what I responded was simple and what I maintain. Anybody carrying the football, I don't care who it is. If we're talking about a consistent message across the board by the NFL that head injuries equal significant danger right there. That's it. Not bad. Not, oh, head injury equals bad. Head injuries equal significant long-term danger. We need to do our best to prevent. Every single football player out there who's wearing a helmet 
if, in fact, they're carrying the football and they get hit helmet to helmet by somebody else. I don't care if it's a defensive lineman picking up a football and gets hit in the head by an offensive tackle or quarterback. If a quarterback leads with his head, get that person out. It's that simple. Apply the targeting rule if you truly want to hold people accountable. You did that with the defenseless receiver. We saw guys, and a couple of them, even Vontez Perfect most recently, but we saw guys about five, six years ago slowly start to fade out of the league because they weren't necessarily speed guys. They were power guys, and they were taking advantage of guys coming across the middle, the defenseless receiver. What about the defenseless ball carrier? And that can be anybody, from quarterback to kicker. Defensive lineman, I don't care. At Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. Mason Aton live on the Twitch channel. i got some responses up there, some tweets as well. And there's a crazy story ahead of the Packers game I want to get to next. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Scratches beneath the surface. It's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. I will get an update on in-house, in-game lines on this Lakers game because they've extended their lead. And the Mavs playing at home right now getting chopped up after one. So we'll see if, in fact, there's any true value. I'll get to that coming up in a second. There was a story that I do want to touch on coming out of Green Bay ahead of the big divisional round matchup. And we'll chat with Eric Thompson in 10 minutes out in Minnesota. That has to be the story. Coming into the divisional round, The biggest story is Minnesota and their quarterback by a mile. We have the opportunity to touch on Kirk Cousins and a couple of other things. Now, it is funny to see this because you, the live element of how Twitch works, and you can follow along with the visuals, Mason Aton, but Jack, who does a fantastic job producing the show and is now with me here on the Friday night SB Nation second level, you see the immediate reaction of things because you're down in Houston doing a fantastic job of making sure this show gets out across the nation, but you admit to, and it's a brave, it's a very brave statement to make over the air because people can hear you on the Twitch channel as well as, of course, on the radio and the app, etc., that you're a Cowboys fan. So to admit that in the break, following me, rant and rave about Wentz getting knocked out, Clowney not getting any type of fine or suspension or reprimand, really, if you look at what happened. It's hilarious because people on the Twitch channel immediately are like, Cowboy Jack, Cowboy Jack ass, and then it's just like, oh, okay, ha, ah, just messing around because you follow it up immediately. And I don't know if this is savvy PR move by you or if it's truly how you feel, but you follow it up with, I think, a good way to save the fact that you're a Cowboys fan. 
Yes, I will admit live on air <laughs> that I am a Cowboys fan. Like, well, I, you can live on air is okay. I'm just saying on the Twitch channel is brave because that's mostly Philadelphia people. But no, I do completely agree with you. Like that was a dirty hit by Jadavion Clowney, and we have the cameras and we have the technology to go back, even just give them that rough, give them that rough. No, I'm sorry, not rough in the passer, but give them that 15 yard penalty and give Jadavian Clowney a fine. I don't think they'll suspend him because it's the playoffs. Sure. But there's too much technology. There's too much stuff we can use to prevent something from like that from ever happening again. Yeah, and I think that's probably the biggest issue that the NFL doesn't address is how do you prevent something like that happening moving forward? What did you – and that's what I guess I'll leave people with, and we'll recircle back here and – touch on some of this again in the later hour, but what are you left with that anybody out there has confidence the NFL will do something different next time? All I'm left with is if somebody like Jadavion Clowney, who, mind you, has already been fined for a vicious hit grabbing the face mask on Nick Foles last year, he's already had a track record for this type of behavior and getting fined, reprimanded as a result of that. And the hit on Carson Wentz was helmet to helmet, back of the helmet, knocked Wentz's helmet into the ground. I don't know if that happens this week. And, oh, I don't know. Somebody on Green Bay does the same thing to Russell Wilson. The NFL has already set a precedent that no flag should be thrown, no suspension should be had, No ejection will come down at that point. And nothing like a fine, a retro fine like that will happen later in the week. So I'm not saying, nor am I advocating, and let's qualify this, that it's open season on a quarterback and that somebody on Green Bay should do that to Russell Wilson. No, I'm not saying that. That's why I'm bringing up the technology as a solution. I wouldn't want this to happen to anybody. And here's the thing, it makes me a hypocrite, and I think it makes others a hypocrite as well. If you're looking at what happened with Jadavion Clowney and Carson Wentz, knowing we have the technology to change it, and now advocating that, oh, I hope Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or Aaron Rodgers gets hurt this, or Kirk Cousins gets hurt this week, so we can see what the NFL does. The NFL needs to take a long, hard look at what happened that play this offseason like they did with the Saints crap last year, and they'll probably do again with the Saints crap this year. Here comes Luka. It's 57. It's tight now as LeBron, I think, airballed, and Luka hit a three. 57-41, and the Mavs right now are plus eight and a half. That's just not enough for me right now. That really isn't enough. So you're saying there's a chance? No, that's what I'm saying. It's I don't six. You're down 16 points. Look, I get it. It's so early, and yes, the Mavs are going to make a run. This might even be the start of it. But to be down 16 points and only get eight and a half in game, that's just not enough. You think that right now? And look, you're not betting it. I am so. Don't worry, I won't blame you, but I I will talk it through at least with you. 
I mean, Boban Marjanovic is your second-leading scorer right now for Dallas. That's, that's going to change, you would like to think, right? I mean, it's just not a good night. Lucas started off really poorly. But the problem is, is do they have enough defensively? Lakers might put up a buck 40 tonight. Do they have enough defensively? Can they close the gap late? At what point do the Mavs sit their starters in the fourth quarter if they're down 18 points, 16 points with nine minutes to go, eight minutes to go, right? These are things that are going through my mind right now, looking at them at plus eight and a half. Now, the value could be throwing a shekel or two on them at plus 300. You like that? A little bit. Not too much, though. Eight and a half is just way too much. I got to take a step back and think about this thing. Although, if it gets worse, I might have to jump in at ten and a half. That might be my minimum. We'll go to Minnesota next. It's SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. I will keep you updated on the in-game line as it moves and depending if you got in at 8.5. And, and reminder, no Chris Stapps to close that gap. No Anthony Davis <laughs> Doesn't seem like it matters by any means. But the story of the weekend has to be, at least when you look at the NFL, and I don't know what could be bigger than the NFL right now heading into the divisional round, has to be what happened last week. Can that momentum roll on? And especially the quarterback who led the most unthinkable of upsets that we saw in the opening round. So we go out to Minnesota, and we're joined by Eric Thompson, at Eric underscore J underscore Thompson, who covers the Vikings for the Daily Norseman, dailynorseman.com. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Eric, first and foremost, thank you for joining me tonight. And I would have to think that Kirk Cousins and the Vikings, and, well, of course, we'll get to Zimmer and the great job he did coaching and all, but Cousins beating the Saints has to be the, one of the more improbable upsets we've seen in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, that not too many people expected Cousins and the Vikings to go into New Orleans and uh, upset what might have been uh, arguably one of the better teams in the NFC, um, one of the best teams to ever actually have to play in the wild card round just because the NFC was so stacked this year. And they went in, as I believe, it, it closed at eight and a half uh, point underdogs. And they went in and kind of, I mean, for three quarters of the game, you know, they, they kind of let the Saints back in in the fourth quarter. They were the better team throughout most of the game. They, uh, their defense kind of dictated the flow. Uh, they, they really pressured Drew Brees, and they really shut down um, what they, the Saints wanted to do with that high-powered offense outside of Taysom Hill. But, yeah, Kirk Cousins, um, he finally he's, he's slowly starting to chip away at all those narratives that he can't win the big games because he showed up when he needed to, especially in that last drive in overtime. A lot of people were eating crow and serving it up with different types of barbecue sauce of choice and Look, I know I, I had to use wing sauce here, here in Philadelphia because we ripped the you-know-what out of him when he was in um, D.C. and then, of course, in Minnesota. And I know a lot of people around the country were just, wow, they did not expect that. What surprised you more? Was it the job and the composure that Kirk Cousins had 
in that game, or was it the defensive approach, game plan, and really execution by Mike Zimmer? I think probably just the, the execution from the defense, just because the Saints' offense was so good throughout the year. I mean, they, this team was, when Breeze came back from the injury after missing five games with that thumb injury, they were putting up well over 30 points a game down the stretch and mm. didn't seem like anyone could stop them. I mean, the only uh, notable loss they had outside of that Falcons game where they lost at home was the, the 48-46 shootout to the 49ers. So it really was kind of bizarre to see the, the Saints stru- offense struggle that much, especially when they had the, the best wide receiver in the league in Michael Thomas, who still got his. I mean, he still had seven catches for 70 yards, but he didn't have the astronomical numbers that we were kind of used to him uh, seeing from him. And I think, yeah, Mike Zimmer just really dialed up a really uh, good game plan. And Cousins just he, – he stayed within the offense. The, the offensive line did enough. They protected him well enough where he had time to um, run the play action and rollouts that have made the Vikings offense successful when they're, all, when they're all clicking. And Cousins, when he had to, he made some really big throws, especially down the stretch. That, that 43-yard completion to Thielen in overtime to set up the game winner. And the game winner itself, that's a tough throw that he had to get to, to Kyle Rudolph in the back end of the end zone. And so – I mean, Cousins, it's, it's, for Vikings fans, I think it's a little less surprising just because we've seen the maturation of Cousins over the last two seasons. He's finally becoming that quarterback where he can make a couple of big throws, and it's not just kind of the empty stats that he's been known for in Washington and most of the season last year. Is there any moment, and maybe not even a specific play or touchdown or even drive, Eric, but is there a moment, maybe a game that comes back or even a stretch that comes to mind in, in which that was solidified for you and others who are watching this guy in and out, day in and day out? Because you're right, it might take something on a national stage like beating the Saints in New Orleans, for example, to convince people outside of Minnesota. But from fan to media member like yourself, is there something that comes to mind maybe this year or even last year where you thought, all right, that maturation process has solidified? I think probably the one game so far this season was, it was actually also on a national stage, was that Sunday night game at Dallas. And Dallas, of course, ended up not making the playoffs, but they were still statistically one of the best offenses and defenses coming into that game. Yeah. And, of course, the, narr- the, the narrative about Cousins and uh, prime time and all that on national stage and, and the Vikings also. I mean, before Cousins showed up, they kind of had a bad reputation in prime time games. I think the the when Cousins drove back, and I think that was a um, he they they came back and he he led a, a, the scoring drive in the fourth quarter, and the defense held up at the, at the end. I think that was kind of a turning point. It's like okay, the Vikings have something there. Again, it turned out that the Cowboys were kind of a disappointment, and they didn't turn out to be as good as they probably should have this season. But just on the stage that they were, you you could kind of see that okay, Cousins isn't always going to shrink from this. He can learn, and I think the the Vikings offense, um, uh, Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak, I think have done a really good job at coaching to what uh, Cousins does well and trying to hide some of his weaknesses, and I think it's really been uh, a nice fit so far, especially in the second season here in Minnesota. If Minnesota lost that game, Kevin Stefanski hired out, do you think? That's a really good question. I mean, everything kind of got filled out, and now they're Cleveland is just kind of sitting there with their with their pick of the litter. He can't. So he doesn't want to go to Cleveland, right? Come on. Uh, I would hope. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to that, keep Jim Schwartz that, here in Philly, hoping he doesn't go to Cleveland. You guys, he's way more important to the Vikings than Schwartz is here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 
he's been with the, I think this is might be his fourth or fifth head coach. Yeah, I mean, he's been with the organization for well over a, a dozen years. I think it might be up wow. to closer to 15 now. And so, and I think he's kind of taken pieces from what he's liked from the other coordinators that have been here. And I think having Kubiak and just uh, installing that, you know, the, the zone running scheme, I think it's a really, it's a much better fit for the Vikings offensive linemen. And I think it's, they've really complemented each other. Well, I think Stefanski's kind of modernized a lot of the concepts and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the what ifs surrounding it. I mean, there was even talk about Zimmer. I thought it was personally pretty crazy that, you know, uh, they, they, they still made the playoffs. They were, they were, they were tough. Yeah. But you know, the Dallas talk <laughs> and there's talk that the, the owners might not, I mean, they had the, the Vikings owners had to come out and publicly make a statement before the game last week that yes, Zimmer's still our coach. So you, you have to kind of wonder, especially if it went really bad last week in New Orleans, if, you know, if they were blown out by 25, 30 points, something like that, maybe there are some big changes in the organization, but I think um, the Vikings have definitely done enough. Even if it comes to an end uh, tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon in San Francisco, I think they've shown enough where I think they're going to try to get this core group that one last run in 2020. Eric Thompson joining us, covers the Vikings for the Daily Norseman, dailynorseman.com. Of course, you can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore J underscore Thompson. Is there any sign of, I hate to use the term letdown, but this wouldn't be the first time that a team would have a big (laughs) win in the divisional round, have to travel somewhere else in, oh, pardon me, in, in the first round, have to travel somewhere else, right, in the divisional or even the conference championship and have a major letdown. And I wonder if the emotion that we saw in the locker room, Eric, following that victory and everybody riding with Kirk Cousins, if there is an opportunity for the Niners to kind of sneak in and say, well, these guys, you know, they, they had their Super Bowl already. Yeah, I think um, no one knows that better than the Vikings themselves. I mean, most of those guys in that locker room, uh, not Kirk Cousins, but a lot of the core players were there in 2017 where they had the Minneapolis miracle against the Saints to come away with a, a win on the last play. And they celebrated that like they had won the Super Bowl two years ago in 2000, after the 2017 season. And they came to Philadelphia and laid an absolute egg and got beat. And I'm still getting 38-7 to 7 replies on Twitter every once in a while anytime a uh, Philly fan finds me. But, I apologize. Uh, it, it's not me, I promise that. And if it's anybody, if, if you ever see anything that says followed by Aton Shander, then please come at me personally and I'll make sure that that never happens. All right? You don't deserve that, it Eric. Is, it is. Yeah, it 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 had it has died down this season, which is which has been nice. But yeah, I think I think um, some of the quotes are pretty telling right out of the locker room, especially players like leaders like Harrison Smith and Kyle Rudolph. They said that day, of course, they celebrated. There was a big win. It was an overtime road victory when kind of no no one really believed that they could win the game. But immediately, as they they started talking about it, putting that behind them because they know that they can't come out and lay an egg against San Francisco. They are the top seed in a really loaded NFC conference for a reason. They're a very good team. They, the Vikings know they can't even start slow tomorrow afternoon or they could be in trouble uh, right away against the 49ers. So I think the, the team has a much better mentality. They've literally been there before, so they don't want a repeat of what happened in Philadelphia two years ago. Right. So hopefully they'll get off to a better start and it'll be a much more competitive game this time around. What's the best thing that Minnesota can do on either side of the football in order to ensure a good to great start in San Francisco? Well, I wrote about it in um, on my preview that was posted this morning. Um, you can find it on Daily Norseman. I Perfect. think there are two really big things on both sides of the ball. It's the pass rush on both sides. Uh, the 49ers are getting healthy. It looks like they're going to have D Ford back. 
which means Eric Armstead can go in the middle and cause some trouble with DeForest Buckner. And that's been the number one thing that can short circuit this Minnesota offense. When they get in trouble, it's the pressure up the middle against uh, rookie center Garrett Bradbury and left guard uh, Pat Elfine. That's when they really get in trouble. That's when the, the play action doesn't work. The bootlegs don't work because everything's getting blown up right away. Conversely, the Vikings showed against a really good pass blocking uh, line in the Saints last week because they can still get some pressure, and that's what kind of tripped Breeze up. If they can do that against uh, Garoppolo, who's playing in his first playoff game, I think that could go a long ways towards maybe causing some mistakes. Garoppolo had 13 picks, and he fumbled 10 times this season, so he has made some mistakes when he's under pressure. Uh, his statistics, and I know his pro football focus grade, um, it goes less than half of what it was when, when he's not under pressure. So mm. uh, the team that pressures more, I think the, the pass rush that gets home more is really going to have a huge advantage in the game tomorrow. Eric Thompson joining us at Eric underscore J underscore Thompson, SB Nation Radio. You can follow Eric on Twitter there and read him at the dailynorseman.com. Is this going to be, or how likely, I should ask, do you think that both quarterbacks are able to open this thing up? And you see a result in which it's Cousins and Garoppolo each going for 350 and a score or two. I'd have a hard time seeing that just because I think um, both pass rushes are going to, it, it, they have an advantage on both sides. I, I see probably a little lower scoring affair. I think the Vikings are trying, going to try to control the clock a lot, get that run game going with Dalvin Cook. Because as good as the, um, the, the 49ers are against the pass, I think they're number one against the pass. And uh, Richard Sherman is, I mean, he's, it's fitting that they're only a couple hours away from Napa Valley because he's aging like a fine wine. I mean, he's, they're, they're really shutting down everything through the air. So I think the Vikings are really going to have to establish that run which means some longer drives, which probably means a lower-scoring game. I think if it's a shootout, that's a little tougher to, for the Vikings to handle. But they have proven before, earlier in the season, that they can score some points as well. But personally, I, I, I think my prediction, um, I might be picking up my heart a little over my head, but I think I said 21-20 Vikings, so I'm a little lower scoring. I'd be surprised if either team really got in the 30s unless it got out of hand. 21-20 Vikings, so you have them outright. Yeah, I had to. I, I mean, I figured as, I'm, as a Vikings uh, longtime fan and someone that's covered the team, a lot of people are starting to believe in the Vikings, but not enough where they can really lose in Minnesota Vikings fast. And if they win on Saturday, then everyone will have their hopes up, and then they, then uh, Lucy can pull the football away from Charlie Brown one more time. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like me before the Eagles won a Super Bowl in 2017. Every single year exactly. I've done a radio show. <laughs> Yep, exactly. So one of these years, it actually maybe it'll happen for the Vikings, and why not this year? They have the talent on both sides of the ball. Of course, the 49ers are going to have something to say about that. They're, they're a very talented team, and um, if, if it is a blowout either way, I think the 49ers would probably uh, be more the more likely team. But the, the Vikings showed last week that they can hang with anyone, and hopefully they can do that again this week. Eric, really appreciate the time and the insight before a huge weekend for you and everybody else in Minnesota. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for having me on. Anytime. You got it. At Eric underscore J underscore Thompson on Twitter. Daily Norseman. DailyNorseman.com. We'll wrap the hour next on SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface. It's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. I don't know if this is going to change the momentum of 
the game here, but we're going to have to play this audio if there is a, if even is good audio of it. But the video of it, you can see on Twitter, it's been reposted now a bunch of times. I assume it's going to go viral, at least for the time being. Luka Doncic misses two free throws in a row and is so frustrated and disgusted with the way in which he and his teammates are playing Sans Kristaps Porzingis up against a team that doesn't even have Anthony Davis and is getting pushed around by bigs not named Anthony Davis. Well, he rips his jersey. Kind of like the Hulk or Hulk Hogan, maybe, is a better one, would rip off his leotard and just go nuts and crazy before body slamming somebody. Or the typical just, I've had it, and rip off your jersey, I'm ready to go. It hasn't done anything. They're down 21 points. I got them at minus 9.5 as the Lakers have just completed a first half in which they've put up the most points all season, 79. They're up 21 points. And it's the NBA. They're going to be runs. Bench will be out there. Hell, the Lakers may pull guys and LeBron himself in the fourth. And now you're talking about Kyle Kuzma and a bunch of guys out there. However, I can't... Look at that, and I told you, if it was 10.5, 11, I was thinking about the Mavs. But after I saw that pathetic display in the first half by Dallas, I'd root for them on the money line, and I was so tempted to take them at plus 350 in-game. But it's still, that's not enough. You're down by 21 points. I I need to be looking at, like, plus 700, plus 750 to take them in-game. I do, I so wanted to trust Luka. But without Porzingis to close that gap, it's going to be tough. Second hour coming up next on the second level. Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. you got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level. On SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Second hour, it's a busy one. As we'll look at storylines and legacy, if you will, beyond just Kirk Cousins. We went out to Minnesota in hour one, and there was a lot about, why wouldn't there be, right? Kirk Cousins, the Vikings, the upset that happened last week in New Orleans, and really the biggest story coming into this weekend is the possibility, at the very least, of another upset, knocking off San Francisco in San Fran. But beyond that, it being led by a quarterback of all people named Kirk Cousins. One of the places we'll focus on is Green Bay. We'll go out to Seattle, chat with Greg Bell again this week, and Fantastic chat last time about what Seattle did to Philadelphia. And, of course, you know, I'm going to have a question or two about the clowny hit. But beyond that, if, in fact, they can knock off Rodgers and the Packers. Well, it's already come out from a weather standpoint. And you don't need to be Jim Cantore or anybody like that to know it's going to snow. There's going to be snow out there. It's going to impact the game. They're expecting upwards to 10, maybe even 11, 12 inches of snow for the actual game. 
powder, if you will, coming over the weekend. Packers know this. They're doing everything they can to make sure that there's no snow on the field, even if, in fact, it's dumping as it comes down when they're playing. They put out a request for 700 volunteers to show up at Lambeau Field on Sunday and help shovel the stadium. And anybody who says, all right, I want to be a part of this. And look, we're always told, right, about Lambeau and the Packers fans, your stockholders, shareholders, it's your team, right? Well, pick up a shovel. Yeah, you're going to make $12 an hour, but you're putting into that in the first place. You're getting paid. This is like an owner of a small business getting an extra 12 15 20 25 an hour for doing something that they should be doing anyway as an owner of the business own up pony up show up and shovel Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. One thing to look at with the weekend games, the totals, especially after all four went under last week. There's a storyline that's not bigger necessarily than Kirk Cousins and the Vikings coming into San Francisco and winning another shocker, but there's one that's up there. And there was this bizarre audio that came out from a game show that you know that I don't think you knew existed in another country. At least I didn't. And speaking of game shows, real quick, I thought that the – Tournament of Champions has been pretty much a a letdown for the most part. But with that said, I I didn't know what I really expected outside of knowing ahead of time it would be leaked and be disappointed, just like the maniacs who leak Game of Thrones and other stuff. But the best of seven and the whole thing that happened this week – I thought the biggest thing that jumped out was the questions themselves were ridiculously difficult. And Jeopardy is great because anybody at all who watches this game show or has any familiarity with it, 7 o'clock Eastern for me, I'm sure this is one of these things, no no matter the time zone you're in, it comes on at 7 o'clock. You get to watch it before primetime action at night. It comes on, of course, before Wheel of Fortune. People will say that's the best block for game shows of all time. But the thing about James Holzhauer and Jennings and getting closer to this winner that you had from, what, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night as far as moving into who takes this thing, although it was leaked, of course, and I don't know. You can look at the actual points up there or the stories up there about who wins it and who is going to take it before you even watch it, knowing it wasn't scripted. It was just pre-taped. It did take away from the betting element of it. But I just thought that the drama and the back and forth, I don't know what I was expecting. I felt like I was let down more so like Tiger Woods and Phil going head-to-head in a golf outing and there was just minimal trash talk, and the trash talk that happened is just two guys who were awkward at it, and Tiger more so. 
And to Phil's credit, he did try, but Phil's an awkward dude as well. These are two guys who are just so insulated in bubbles that you could see they didn't really trash talk anybody in their lives. And I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting Brad Rutter to throw a punch at James Holzhauer. But outside of the questions being really difficult, I thought, well, this is a little underwhelming. Now, I know somebody on the Twitch channel brought this up about shoveling and if, oh, the Bills did it last year or a couple of years ago during a snowstorm. And if I would do it as well, if the Eagles came calling. I've been through a situation where I had to do this as a result of a job, but it wasn't so much in a sport capacity. I used to work, and this was like, I don't know, maybe a six- or seven-month span, where I worked for Hallmark, and this is kind of fresh out of college. And Hallmark, of course, has a television channel. They make movies, and they also partner up with networks to make movies as well. So it may not be on the Hallmark Channel. And I was in Calgary for four of the six and a half, seven months that I was in Canada. Two separate movies I was working on. One was a Hallmark movie, Christmas movie, that had Linda Hamilton from The Terminator in it. And that's a completely different conversation. That was like a month and a half, two months in Montreal. It was in a studio, a house where you went to the same in humongous inside building every day, and they shot that. Calgary, when I was out there, that was for, what, like four months, and you were all over the province. We even finished back in the States. It was outside. It was this Native American piece that they shot with ABC. It was beautiful, amazing. And it was meant to be in the summer. So they tried to get ahead of the shoot by starting this outdoor field shot in, I think, the middle of March is when I arrived. So my first day on set, my very first day, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm brand new to this. All I am is the American guy on a set of bunch of Canadians, Union Canadians, that are seasoned working on these movie sets. And I'm the American pompous college kid intern who just came out of college, I should say, intern. You know, they paid me and all, but paid intern if you will and it's kind of just like all right there you go and there you go was day one picking up a shovel and helping clear out the size of maybe two football fields to be fair there were about 50 of us but i'm thinking to myself wow this is going to be a long summer this is going to be one in which i'm going to regret and there was no training. There was no, oh, I need to fall back on the days in which I would clean out my neighbor's driveway and get 650 per driveway and save that for a Nintendo 64 or Sega Genesis game or something like that. This was pure misery. There was no extra pay. There was nothing like that. It was just, here, we can't shoot until this field is cleared. And you saw... I think the equivalent of two of these fields where we were just shoveling this snow it was absurd and there was a lot in the middle of march in calgary i'm thinking my god this is really what movies are about this is why people are miserable when you actually talk to them off camera at shander shows hey get me on twitter the twitch channel is maze and eight again we'll go out to seattle in 20 minutes but before we touch on the packers and seahawks game which is going to prevent some or present, pardon me, some value, not only from an entertainment standpoint, but mostly from a betting standpoint. 
you heard how ridiculous it is, the Vikings storyline moving into now a situation where if they knock off the Niners, it's no longer a fluke. I'm looking at it here. It's pretty much a consensus across the board where the seven-point line has not moved. Or if it did, it's back to where it opened. And if you got it right at Sunday night, you got it Monday morning at seven points, that's where you and I sit. We got it at seven. We both got the Vikings at seven, plus seven. Now, some of you may have thought a touchdown, that's easy for the Niners to clear. I can do that. San Fran at home, win by eight, win by ten. I can do that. 53% of the money is on the Vikings covering that seven-point line, getting that seven points, 53%. That's more than I thought. From a public standpoint, that's more than I thought. Now, on the converse, the flip side is the later game, where only 44% of the money is on the dog. Road dog, but that wasn't a problem last week. You have a 10-point Dog in Baltimore and Tennessee. Nashville, the Titans laying the 10. And as gigantic of a line as that is, the public not even faced. And that's what just, I don't get. Last week we saw that. It was an easy pick, was it not? They covered a five and a half, five point line in New England. Regardless of how bad and maybe overachieving that offense was this year. Dwight Howard on the verge of fouling out. It's an 18-point game in L.A., pardon me, Dallas, as the Lakers are 19 now, or 17, as the Lakers are trying to hold off any type of third-quarter run by the Mavericks. And if you took this thing minus 9.5 right around halftime, then you probably have a little bit of an eye like I do on Dallas to see if, in fact, they can come back. Gave you, when I took it at minus 9.5, they were plus 360 on the money line in-game. So I don't know how many of you thought that might have been the better option, especially if, in fact, they can get a run, take advantage of the fact that there's no Anthony Davis, maybe get LeBron in foul trouble, but it doesn't look like it's going to be anywhere close of an outright victory. It's more a matter of can they cover anything from the initial spread to the in-game. And speaking of covering the initial, 10 points is a ridiculous number. I don't know who in their right mind would sit there and think 10 points is doable in the playoffs. It doesn't mean that you'll see results that won't clear 10-point victories. But coming into this, if you're not going to wait for this thing to go in-game, and that's where I think the danger is because you lose value by the second. Unless the Ravens get the football, run down the field, and score a touchdown, and you jump in right there where the Titans might get 14 points, 13 and a half if you're lucky. Other than that, I don't know what you're waiting on. This thing where you look at it from 10 to where it is now, it's not the Texans-Chiefs. That line has dropped a point and a half. It's gone from 9.5 to 8. Sunday's game has dropped a point, 4.5 to now 3.5. You might even see it drop to 3 by the kick. In Green Bay, Sunday evening, you might see that be a minus 3 scenario here. And again, if you're Seattle or if you're on Seattle or if you're just betting that game, you might as well take the points in the hook.
before you lose it at the very least. Ten points. It was too much. Think about this. It was too much for people betting the Texans Chiefs. Texans getting nine and a half was way too much. So people thought, all right, coming into this, let me grab that line early. Instead, it's been an immense amount of bets that's been placed on Kansas City. 62% of the public on the Chiefs. It's moved the line down a point and a half. Think about that. It hasn't even moved it to where the books would get a more favorable play. So that strikes me as not odd, but something worth discussing. That the Chiefs and the Texans, Kansas City would be so heavily bet, and it wouldn't favor the Texans by a shred of hope or even money. In fact, it hurt Houston. All of that Kansas City money hurt Houston to where it's dropped a point and a half. Meanwhile, 56%. Which, again, once you go over 55, you can start using the word significant. It's not the end of it, but it's significant. 56% of the money on Baltimore. It didn't move it even a half a point. You didn't even get a hook. Start to look at these four games and see where can the books win. Where can the books make back any type of upset? That's maybe the situation. You saw that last week with Minnesota. A lot of people. Heavy favorite, New Orleans, right? Books cleaned up. They cleaned up because a lot of people took Tennessee, and that line was bet down the day before. And the overtime game, the push, returned money. So while the books didn't lose, they sure as hell didn't win. And that's that's more important right there is that they didn't gain anything. So this week of the four games based on the line, to where there's money, trying to identify some value based on a percentage of public money that should have moved something that didn't, I think the Titans still remain the best value on the board. It's not the best storyline. Kirk Cousins beating the Niners outright, that's the story to watch. That's the number one thing, and the beauty of it is we get that right off the bat. However... If you're looking from a sports betting standpoint, it's the Titans at plus 10. Wait until you hear this audio from a show that you know that I guarantee you didn't know existed in another country. At Shander Show, it's SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Definitely want to look at, moving forward, the Seahawks and Packers game. But also... We'll get Greg Bell's thoughts on what happened with Jadavion Clowney, Carson Wentz, coming up in 10 minutes. Fantastic conversation. I hope Philadelphia treated him well, at least before the whole thing went down with Clowney. We'll, we'll have to figure that thing out. It's 91-78 right now in the fourth quarter. There's a four-minute mark or just under that now. And here comes Dallas. And you knew that at some point there was going to be a run and not having three guys is going to hurt you from a bench standpoint. 
But we'll see if, in fact, the Lakers are able to continue to push this thing. Air ball from three aside. And again, the minus nine and a half is going to linger around as much as the Lakers are going to allow the Mavericks to linger around in this game. Down 10 right now, they've got some momentum in that building. And that's what I was concerned about. That's why I did not, jumping on the Lakers, I could not let that get to 10. The play had to be under 10. 10 and a half, 10, way too much. So I didn't realize that Family Feud is aired elsewhere. I just assumed that there were, maybe people were picking it up, the Steve Harvey version, picking it up from different countries. This is a clip from Family Feud, and I saw this. Marshall Harris, who used to work in Philadelphia that's now out in Sacramento, tweeted this video, and I responded. We used to work in the same city and whatnot. So I responded, who is that host? And I didn't know if they replaced Steve Harvey or if Steve Harvey, God forbid, was sick or maybe if the Rob Gronkowski thing on New Year's got to him so much that he needed time off to just think and reassess where he is. But I saw this clip, and I could not for the life of me think or even recognize who the host is. And then I thought, well, how many other countries have their own version of something like this, a game show like this? This is the clip from the Canadian version of Family Feud. All right, no team has reached 300 points, which means we're going to sudden death. Give me Logan. Give me Eve. All right. Real simple. There's one question. Only one answer. Whoever gets it, you're playing for $10,000. That's it. Whoever guesses this wins the game. Here we go. Name Popeye's favorite food. Chicken. Oh, my God. Show me chicken. Spinach, Sherry. Well, here's the thing. I can't fault her for having conviction in her answer. And it's amazing that you hear that response as absurd and awful of a response as that was. And it's worth making fun of and ripping, don't get me wrong. But if you haven't seen the video, and you have to do me a favor, Jack, if you can just play that again real quick, and just give me a second here, but if we can run that back real quick, just listen, we can cut it after she's done saying chicken and dancing, but listen to her, the conviction in her voice as she's giving the answer, and what she does is, and again, I can't falter, all right, because if you're about to win a game show, or if you're about to win a football game or anything else, and you want to celebrate as you're doing it, back away, like you're in a competition, so all right, time, or you get it right and answer, and you put your hands up like, boom, gotcha. If you want to do that, all the power to you. If you haven't seen the video that accompanies this audio clip, she is dancing and walking away like she just dropped the mic on this dude. And this is the response that she gives you. All right, no team has reached 300 points, which means we're going to sudden death. Give me Logan. Give me Eve. All right. 
Real simple. There's one question. Only one answer. Whoever gets it, you're playing for $10,000. That's it. Whoever guesses this wins the game. Here we go. Name Popeye's favorite food. Chicken. Uh, that right there, it's fine. So it's just hilarious as she's backing off of the dais, whatever the hell you would call that thing. And she's just like, boom. And then dude continues. He's like, no, spinach. And everybody, if you just look across at her family, everybody is like, I cannot believe it. Not only did you lose, but you publicly embarrassed us. You humiliated us. Not only did you make an ass out of yourself, not only did you cost the team, and that's probably more important, the team, Money, you embarrass the family, the family name. Think about that. Kids related to this woman are going to have to go into school the next day and see on their school-issued iPads, video on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, constantly back and forth and back. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's, my, it's my aunt. But technically, it's, it's my aunt through marriage. So she's not my blood on. It's just somebody in my family, somebody on my dad's side married into that family. So eighth grader. I mean, think about that. That awful answer, that stupid, ridiculous answer now is going to result in children that are going to school. Some eighth grader in her family is going to have to show up to some school in Quebec or wherever the hell they're from. And answer to this. And you know what? It doesn't mean bullying. I'm not advocating that. But I would want answers too. I would go up to somebody if I was 13, if I was 18, if I'm 30. And say, why? What has this person ever shown any signs in the past of being concussed? Had did that woman pass the? We talk about Carson Wentz and whether or not he passed the concussion protocol. I wonder if that woman did. Popeye's chicken? Man, I'm telling you, we are completely immersed in social media to where that's the first thing you think of. The Popeye's chicken sandwich versus KFC. Amazing where we are right now. We'll get some sanity restored to the program with Greg Bell coming up next. Sesame Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Couple things to look at from last week, as well as this week, of course. And I want to make sure that we talk about everything from the Eagles game to maybe, and especially most importantly, what happens moving forward if, in fact, Seattle continues this amazing stretch that they've had all year on the road. So it's a pleasure to bring back Greg Bell on the hotline. You can follow Greg at GBellSeattle, covers the Seahawks for the News Tribune, newstribune.com. 
Greg, Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. First and foremost, I hope my people treated you well. And we were laughing before <laughs> you came on because I, I clarified for the audience, I hope it wasn't a matter of they treated you well pregame and then postgame it was, uh-oh, let me get the hell out of this city. <laughs> hey, Tom, good to be on again. No, your city treated me well again. I'm at Tyson, so they don't know after the game if I'm from Seattle or not. So I, I did and by the time I leave, it's pretty late anyway. But no, great meal at Giuseppe and Son. McGillan's again, close that down. I love your town, love your city. I've been there so many times. Oh, my goodness, that's hilarious. All right, well, let's start with the news that came out today about the hit on Carson Wentz and knocked him out of the game. And I'll say me personally, because I know that there are a lot of people in Philadelphia that have microphones, that have a lot more followers than me, that have done morning radio for 30-plus years successfully, and a big mentor of mine. So I'm not isolating Angelo Cataldi or anybody else. What I'm saying is let me at least give you my point of view on this. I don't think that Jadavion Clowney is a dirty player, and I don't think that he went out to physically intend to hurt Carson Wentz, but it's hard for me to believe after seeing it in slow motion that helmet-to-helmet didn't happen on Carson Wentz resulting in an injury. It did. He should have been penalized. I thought at the time, live through my binoculars when I was watching the play, he should have been penalized. In the NFL today, any helmet, any contact with a helmet from any body part, arm, shoulder, knee, foot, hip, especially head, is penalized, and especially the quarterback because of the valuable commodities that they are. I was surprised that he didn't get penalized, and I thought he'd get fined. I talked to him yesterday about it. He said he hadn't heard anything from the league and that he is just moving on. And as he should, he's got a game here in two days for the to try to get to the NFC title game. But the actual intent, I didn't see intent either. Uh, I saw once Wentz broke trying to get away from Bradley McDougal's sack and get to the line of scrimmage is when Clowney went after him. And Wentz kind of turned his body as he was lunging forward. And in that turn, Clowney's head hit the back of his head. And unfortunately, hit, the head hits off the ground and he's out of the game. But... I didn't see an intent of knocking him out of the game, which is what the result was. So he shouldn't have been penalized. I still would have put Carson Wentz out of the game with sure. the Eagles. Sure. Uh, so I, I was surprised it wasn't a penalty. I think the Seahawks were too, honestly. And that's the thing. It, it, nothing brings Carson Wentz back. And even though he played heroically with meat off of a ligament or bone at 40 years old and Josh McCown, Eagles weren't winning that game no matter what. So with that said, I, I don't think myself or anybody in Philadelphia would be looking for any type of even justice. But my point of view would be, hey, look, there's so much conversation about head injuries and about preventing this and moving forward. Not to say, and again, we both agree, Greg, that there wasn't vicious intent here to hurt. But if there's no fine even this week leading up to this game in Green Bay, What's to say that or what message is being sent by the NFL that if this happens to Wilson, Watson, Rodgers, Mahomes, which I hope it doesn't, by no means would I advocate for that, that the same thing doesn't happen again in which the guy walks away, there's no fine, and we still have the conversation about how serious they are about head injuries. Well, in this case, in this case, Aitan, I believe that the NFL is trying to back its on-field officials. And the fact that even it wasn't even reviewed, it wasn't penalized on the field, the referee 
Sean Smith, after the game, makes a statement saying he thought it was incidental contact to the helmet and that not signing Clowney backs up all of that. And just is the league having the officials back on the field. But there is a precedent, and it's, it's, it's from Seattle's point of view. Russell Wilson in week two in Pittsburgh got absolutely clocked, a far worse hit after the play by Bud Dupree, two or three steps after a throw, helmet to helmet, when he was running, standing up. It was a much different situation than the Wentz gray area. And Dupree did not get penalized either. And in fact, he did get uh, fined $20,000 the following Friday. There was a replay review later in that game. Uh, Tyler Lockett contested pass on the same drive as the non-call on the hit by Dupree. That probably, it's certainly later in the season, replay review would not have turned that into a P.I. call. It wasn't called P.I. on the field. But there was a pretty strong feeling among us who saw the game that the NFL and the replay official Al Riveron tried to even the score there for missing the hit on Wilson to the head. Mm. Uh, fans can look it up. We too, Bud Dupree hitting Russell Wilson. It was brutal. Yeah. And he oh, got no. fined $20,000 for it. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing is the in-game makeup, the the retribution of it. I, I didn't want to spend a ton of time on this because there is a big story now moving forward, which is this team winning on the road seems to be the theme, the storyline of at least the NFC right now. So there's a ton of snow. Let's start with the snow. The Packers are trying to enlist people for $12 an hour. I guess they're just trying to further enrage fans to make sure that that place is even more raucous by only giving them $12 an hour. I thought they raised the minimum wage in that state. I don't know. But I, I thought that they $12 an hour to shovel snow, what does the snow do to Seattle? I thought it was volunteering. I mean, these people that are shoveling own the team, right? Well, that's what I said. You know, Greg, <laughs> verbatim, I said that in the first hour. I don't have any sympathy for anybody getting paid, right? Your shareholders, your stockholders. This is like a, a small business owner complaining that he's not taking a salary, right? <laughs> it's a cooperative they have going on there at Green Bay. What I was told <laughs> is that and what, what the Seahawks have been told is that the snow is supposed to end Tomorrow night before dawn Sunday, the winter storm warning for Wisconsin and for Green Bay is supposed to end at 6 a.m. Sunday. That it will be then clear and sunny during the day, but cold, no wind, and by kickoff, 20 degrees with a 7-mile-an-hour wind and no snow. The Seahawks will take that. It was 29 miles an hour with a wind chill and 20-mile-an-hour wind at kickoff in Philadelphia last week. So it would only be 10 degrees colder than that. Although the winds did die down, which is why you saw the Seahawks take the shots down the field of Metcalf later in the game. But from what the forecasts are saying, it's not going to be bad for the actual game time, and the snow will have fallen before that. Now, whether I get there or not might be a different story. Just <laughs> to fly into Chicago tomorrow and drive up to Green Bay, but it's flat there. I'm from the Midwest. I can handle that. But weather is, is what they could have gotten. It sounds like weather is not going to be a huge deal. You mentioned the. 8-1 record on the road. The Seahawks have the franchise record. And, of course, they're embracing it because they have to, right? Absolutely. Unless Minnesota wins and creates the first 5-6 NFC title game match of conference title match of ever, unless that happens, they're going to be on the road the remainder of the season. So they have played not so strong a teams on the road this season. Ben Roethlisberger got hurt in the Pittsburgh game that they won by two points. The Carolina team that lost Cam Newton and was in the middle of losing seven in a row. They beat them in Charlotte. Uh, they lost the one winning team they played late in the season on the road, the Rams. They got boat raced by 28-12. to 12. 
they they have gotten fortunate with who they played on the road last week. Wentz getting knocked out of the game. A 40-year-old quarterback who never played in the playoffs having to come in. So, yes, they're eight and one, but I touch that to say they haven't. They've been fortunate in their draws on the road as well. They're not going to be as fortunate on Sunday with Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau Field. I don't think this is a 13 and three Packers team. Mm. I think they've been benefited from their record as well, but yep. I don't think this is an 11, 11 and five Seahawks team. Either. Well, that's interesting, and I don't want to touch on that. Greg Bell joining us at G Bell Seattle on Twitter. The NewsTribune.com is where you can read him. Covers the Seahawks, of course, for the News Tribune. And Steubenville's finest. I don't know if they'll let you back there in, in the city limits if they heard you complaining about 10 inches of snow, right? <laughs> oh, they will. My parents still live there. But, yeah, I, I know better. Than, see, where I grew up in the Ohio Valley, there are hills. So when it snows, it's a little different than out of Columbus or Wisconsin or Michigan. Uh, the hills do complicate things. Oh, is that right? Oh, see. So. I didn't realize that because I spent, let's see, a year at least. I'd say about 12, maybe 13 months in Grove City. And that yeah. I thought that I had cold in New England. I thought that I experienced like skiing or snowboarding, right? You're on top of a mountain and you think, man, this is cold. But I've never experienced a bite of walking outside my door than in Grove City, Columbus, Ohio, that area, where it's like minus 20 with the wind chill, Greg, and your nose hair immediately freezes. Right, because there's there's nothing from the Rocky Mountains to the Ohio Valley to block the wind. Right, I got you. And, yeah, Columbus, Indianapolis, I've been freezing there. Yeah, the Ohio Valley has hills. <laughs> it, it is funny to hear people in Seattle just go nuts about even the possibility of snow in Wisconsin. I'm trying to tell people in the Midwest, it snows every other day in January. It's not a huge deal. Right. Towns don't shut down and people don't go berserk like they do in Seattle when it snows. Again, the weather, I think the Seahawks are getting a break. It's not going to be a big factor. Greg, who that's banged up has the best chance of playing, or at least that was playing hurt has the best chance of being healthier this week for Seattle? Well, Pete Carroll today said that Jadavion Clowney is healthier, better than he was last week at this time when he wasn't practicing yet, still played on the core muscle injury that he's probably going to have surgery on afterwards. He was practicing this week, and that's a good sign for a Seahawks pass rush that needs to get to Aaron Rodgers. Dwayne Brown is the big issue on the offensive line. He hasn't played the last three games. He had minor knee surgery on December 23rd. They've been targeting this division round game as the one they hoped he could come back for. That's 20 days or so from the surgery. Him not playing has forced George Fant to go to left tackle the last two games. And they want Fant as an extra blocking tight end. And he, he does it about 17 snaps a game, and it really helps their run game. And they haven't had it because he's had to play left tackle for Brown the last couple of weeks. And their running game has suffered. 19 yards on 18 carries between Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch last week. I know the Eagles are, were third in the league this year against the run, and they were run blitz in corners and safeties. But they need Fan as the extra tight end and six blockers again. They'll get that if Brown can play. He's listed as questionable. I think he's going to play. Fan's listed as questionable with a new groin injury he got in Philadelphia. I think he's going to play as well. They both practice on the light, light practice today. Uh, those are the biggest issues on the offensive line. Mike Yapati is the left guard that's got a groin, a neck nerve issue, and he's a doubtful for the game, which means Jamarco Jones, drafted out of Ohio State to be a left tackle, is probably going to make his second career start at left guard. They're mixing and matching on an offensive line that have to, to block Preston Smith and the Zedaria Smith on Sunday, and that's not a great recipe. 
Greg, last one for you, and really appreciate the time and just the convo with you as always, man. Do they win? Do they cover the spread? I see it now down to three and a half. Do they win outright or at least cover that three and a half points? Well, there are a lot of ifs here. If they can get the running game to keep the Green Bay and the pass rusher Smith honest, if they can keep the game close by limiting big plays from Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones and get the game close into the fourth quarter within a score or in the lead, I think they win. I think Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter is the best in the game at it, even against Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. It's just the Seahawks' task is to get it to that point. They've lost eight in a row in Green Bay, and they've been boat raced early in most of those games. And they've lost 38-10, to 10, for instance, the last time they were in there. Russell Wilson threw five interceptions, his worst day ever, and they were down 21-3 in the second quarter. That can't happen because their pass protection issues on the offensive line, even when they're healthy, they can't block Zedaria Smith and Preston Smith consistently if they don't have a run game. So you're going to see Travis Homer, the rookie from Miami, 25, and, and Marshawn Lynch, 24, getting the ball early in the game to try to slow down the pass rush and make those guys have to read run or pass because that's the advantage the Seahawks need on the offensive line. If they can do that, they can throw later in the game, and I think they have advantages in the secondary to win the game by maybe a field goal. I think it's going to be an epic fourth quarter between Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. Awesome stuff, Greg. Thank you, sir. All the best in Green Bay. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I may need it. Have a good I'm sure you do. You too, man. Thank you. All right, we'll wrap the hour next on SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Coming up third hour, we'll look at the other two games in the NFL this weekend. From a football standpoint, we'll also build the perfect stack lineup. As last week, I got edged out by, I think it was a, no, it was a tenth of a point. The difference between a grand and $10, which happens, I'm sure, weekly, if not nightly, to people in the tournaments. But I figured since we're running out of the double day and the double games in two days, this would be the perfect opportunity to build the stack. By the time you hear me again, it'll be 6 to 9 Eastern on Saturday evening, we'll be full-on into the games like we were last week. So that will also listen to a promo because I heard something, and every time that I'm on and if I'm streaming in and around my day listening to the network, the promos that could put up are awesome. We have some of the best promos in the business that are up there. But we hear things on the show that draw our attention or raise an eyebrow. And one of my favorite shows by a mile on this network did something, said something that I had a problem with. And we're going to hear that next. Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. 
Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level. On SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. We begin our third hour here, and it's important to know that if you were along the ride with me, it's looking like it's going to pay off. And look, at no point do I claim to be any tout. I don't have a website. I don't have a phone number. I have a local show that's heard in and around the Philadelphia, Delaware Valley, South Jersey, and beyond area here that focuses on sports betting from a discussion sports storyline standpoint. But even that, I'm not pushing to try to get you to go somewhere else. All it is is just observing, watching, and a lot of times I like to put my money where my mouth is. And very often that's the case on a Friday night where we pick something. That's why the Friday night college games were great, but it was such a double-edged sword because we found out that while it was an awesome thing to do to bet, especially in-game bet, it was the equivalent of Thursday night in the NFL where it was such an equalizer and dogs were doing really well, and it was just very difficult to predict heading into it. With all of that said, we have storyline to focus on with two games here, the other two games in the NFL this weekend, and some pretty reasonable to rather ridiculous prop bets that I've found for the divisional round in the, in the playoffs. Mentioned a couple of stories and the Jadavion Clowney not getting fined. The big one in the NFL, the Lakers manhandling the Mavericks tonight. And again, we got in at minus nine and a half at the half. Lakers up by 2018. It's going back and forth. But at the four-minute mark, this thing is all but over. Now it's just a matter of does Dallas have enough time on the clock and really energy left to go on any significant run because at nine and a half right now i don't care if they're up by 20 with four and a half minutes left i'm still eyeing this game i'm not sold unless they're up by 16 and i'm looking at seconds not minutes tick off this clock we also have the tv schedule for the nfl division around but my guys i thought my guys went against me that next Beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. Lakers up right now. There's 320 left. It's 119-103. 16-point game right here. And I have a minus 9.5. As it gets tighter, and, and look, at 320, I, I'm not convinced of anything. Especially because the Mavericks haven't pulled their guys entirely. And when that happens, I'll feel a little better. Now, to be fair, LeBron, Kuzma, they're still out there. They just get a bucket. In fact, Kuzma just gets one. So, 
that makes me feel a little better. But at some point in the next 90 seconds of game time, the Lakers are going to pull LeBron first and foremost, and then Kuz, maybe not Kuz as much because he needs as much time as he can coming back from missing it. But Bradley, Green, these guys are probably going to get pulled. The bench didn't play horrible at all. And I do feel good about that from KCP to Brondo coming off the bench. They didn't play bad. Dwight Howard played really well in limited minutes. So, yeah, I, I, I do feel good. I just don't feel like anything is locked in yet, especially with the Mavs on the line. Good thing is that it's Boban. <laughs> and I can no longer or I no longer have to support the lack of free throws by him since he's no longer a sixer. Now, speaking of Sixers, Philadelphia, and just the general city and fan base here, I wanted to play this audio because it's from a promo. Anytime we break, you hear it. If you're listening on the Twitch channel, Maze and Aton, you're following along on Twitter, if we have the Periscope going, or other forms of you following visually outside of SB Nation Radio and SBNationRadio.com and the app, then you, like those three that were just mentioned, are getting the promos of our station. And even if you're listening on a local radio station, you're getting our promos here and there throughout the day. And the latest that I heard from our fantastic morning show, Tony D, Ron Culver, and you know that I talk about them a bunch because I'm fans of them, both individually and collectively of the show. When I filled in for Tony, working with Ron was great. And just meeting Tony last year at the Super Bowl and listening to him for a while. I'm a fan of them. I'm a fan of that show. In the morning, they get what it is to be in the morning. There's a good, healthy balance of sport and entertainment. And with that said, I never feel like when I'm streaming that show, I never feel like they go too long talking about a serious sport thing. Unless, of course, it's like the most serious sport topic that everybody's talking about for you know weeks. And, and I mean like over-the-top serious. But it's never about taking themselves so seriously for where it's 12 minutes into a segment and you've just been lectured because that's the morning and you don't need that. So with all of that said, I want you to hear this audio because from what I thought I heard, and again, I'm going to hear it again here with you, the dry audio. Jack, thank you, has tracked this down for us. But it sounded like this started out like what I just did, buttering up Tony and Ron. Those guys buttering up the Philadelphia Eagles fans and Carson Wentz and all things Philadelphia, only to kind of take a subtle shot at the end. I needed to hear it again one more time in order to come to a true conclusion. So these are the morning guys, which I hope is not going to result in them ripping Philadelphia. God, I feel bad for Carson Wentz. Really, I do. Two years he couldn't play in the playoffs, and Nick Foles had to take the team to the Super Bowl and win it. So then he finally gets to play in a playoff game, and he's out in the first quarter and a hit by Jadavion Clowney. Is that the most? Is he the most cursed player we've seen in the last couple of years? By the way, Jadavion Clowney's turned out to be a nice pickup for Seattle. Comes with that Legion of Boom swagger. Yeah, that, same you know, thing. It's kind of been, it's kind of been missing. I mean, he immediately called Philadelphia fans the worst in the NFL. Yeah, and said, "Yeah, he's probably going to get death threats." Sure, why not? He'll get death threat from Philly fan. But if you're a Philly fan, haven't you been hearing this for like your entire existence? Like I've been hearing yeah. that since I was a kid. Philly fans were the worst. Can't be, you can't be that upset, right? No, you should be actually wearing it like a badge of honor. 
Mm. All right. Well, I do stand corrected. That's not a rip by any means. And to be fair and fully transparent as I choose to be, Tony D has been in this area where I am in Philadelphia and north of me in North Jersey. And he's been around here and, and knows this climate from a sports standpoint. But to the response of that, and it was not a rip by any means, but to the response of that, because I've battled, actually, uh, it's ironic that this thing is airing and playing on the network, especially when I'm on, watching a three by Dallas cut this thing to now 13 points, but with 6.6 seconds left. There it is. So it's final, 129-114. Lakers cover that minus 9.5. I don't know where you got them, if you got them in-game, but where I got them at 9.5, they cover. We move on. We fight another day. But there is a discussion that I've had a lot with fellow Philadelphians. I've been here over two decades now, went to school in South Central PA, grew up going to Eagles games as a child, even when I was living in New York and Southern Connecticut. So this city has always been special to me, and now living here for a long time, I've gone back and forth with the fortunate that I am, platforms, that I have locally about that very notion of do you wear that as a badge of honor or do you fight back whenever you hear it? And you thought that maybe it is the case of people wearing it as a badge of honor, but it's not all of us. And I say us because you saw my initial reaction after hearing that as a promo. My initial reaction was I thought that they were ripping us here. I thought that they were calling us worse. That's what I heard because I'm used to hearing it so much. Oh, worst fans in the nation, worst fans in sports, worst fans in the NFL. It's those Philadelphia fans, Boo, Santa Claus, all the other crazy, absurd, over-the-top, lazy cliches they get associated. All right, they threw batteries at J.D. Drew. Yet, when you hear that, there is a very interesting question raised at the end, which is a matter of do you wear something like that as a badge of honor or do you fight back and resist the notion that you are the worst fans in sports? And it's not 50-50. It's not 60-40. I don't have data. I just have my own experiences. Talking on the radio, four different radio stations in and around Philadelphia over the last 15-plus years, battling with some agreeing with others, and really truly seeing some hypocrisy when this conversation is had. And what I mean by hypocrisy is you can't have it both ways. You can't have, well, we've got one of the most difficult places to play, home field advantage, because we're nasty and we really go after opposing players and we let them have it and it's such a ruthless environment to play in Philadelphia. Yet, when that's brought up, say, how dare you? And point the finger at any fill-in-the-blank national media member, if it's Tony D and Ron Culver, who didn't do that, of course, on their show or anyone else on the TV shows. How dare you say that we're the worst fans or that we're nasty or we do things like that and then associate us as being the worst fans? See, there's a difference. And I think that there are a significant amount of people here in Philadelphia, and you can see this really play out on social media if it's conversations that you may have with people wherever they are in your walk of life that might be from this area that don't enjoy that 
moniker that don't enjoy having to go out and see on social media them as fans, the city, wherever they may live now, representing their city, and that being associated with, oh, you boot Santa Claus and all the other lazy crap that like a Dick Stockton, for example, would slide into a broadcast. And people don't like that, and I'm one of them. I don't like the fact that there is even a conversation about, well, look at those those – fans are nasty they they're dirty they're over the top and it's a terrible place to play nobody wants to go play there because the fans are so brutal to me that sounds like and i'll admit i've only been there twice so i can't tell you that i have any real strength of knowledge or foundation when it comes to this but that sounds like a place like cleveland why would you want to go play in Cleveland right now? LeBron's gone. They just fired their head coach in the NFL. I mean, maybe you want to go play baseball. Okay, go play baseball. You want to play soccer there or around there in Columbus? Go ahead. But what the hell would you want to go play for the Browns right now? Fans? Yeah, they've got passionate fans. They've got loud fans. The dog pound and all the other crazy stuff that's associated with them. But... That's not bringing anybody there. That's not pushing anybody over the top to say, you know, I thought I would go to New England. With the possibility of playing with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, one of the most solid, stable infrastructures we've seen in professional sports in the history since the existence of Greco-Roman wrestling in ancient times. Yet now I have the opportunity to play in front of that fan base in Cleveland. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Sign me up. Give me the dog pound. Nobody says that. Nobody in their right mind says that. Something to look at with fan bases, the perception of them, I think a lot of times is some internal hypocrisy where you want to ride that moniker when teams come to town. But the reality is, is yeah, we don't like it. We don't like it when we hear from people outside of our city that were the worst. And look, if there are other fan bases that fit the bill, it's not just Philadelphia. I gave you Cleveland. There are others as well that come to mind. Then I imagine they don't like it either. Because that's what I'm saying. Who really would enjoy being labeled as part of the worst fan base in sports, especially if it's not helping you? Is that helping you? Look, the Philadelphia 76ers, for example, Let's look at that. That's a perfect segue into what might help versus what might hurt. The Sixers have one of the best home records in the NBA right now. They're not a good road team. They're really like a suspect road team. But when you look at them at home, they're 18-2 and along with Milwaukee. And that's the best in the NBA. Get to the fifth seed. Now, it doesn't mean that they're the fifth seed meaning they're locked into that they're a half game out of the fourth seed but the point being they're seven and 12 on the road there is a true home court advantage that comes with playing in philadelphia the players are the same the coach is the same the sets are the same the offense is the same the defensive strategy that's all the same 
The only thing that changes is the building. That's the only thing that changes. And there is a true sense of electricity in South Philadelphia every single time the Philadelphia Sixers take the floor, 76ers, pardon me, take the floor in front of their home crowd. That is a home crowd advantage. That is a home court advantage. Clearly, you can see that manifest. But we're not talking about people going crazy and belligerent and yelling and screaming. It's the opposite. Yeah, people get heckled. Boston sucks. You might hear that. But that doesn't take over the game. What takes over the game is the immense amount of positive energy and cheering, the immense amount of people standing up as far as giving an ovation for Markel Fultz, just making it out there on the floor, Joel Embiid making his career debut, or Simmons as well coming off of years for injury. That's what defines home court advantage, not being crazy and yelling stuff, nonsense and ignorant stuff. At Shander Shows, how you get me on Twitter. Twitch channel's up, Maze and Aton, back on Expedition Radio. By Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. Interesting question on the Twitch channel here. Amazing Aton is how you follow along. Trevor from the 203, what's a worse city to play for, Detroit, Cincinnati, or Pittsburgh? So, rarely do this since I've moved on to different places locally. Used to work at a station where it was just you had to put a pole up, you had to put a pole up. Every five minutes you put a pole up, you put a pole up. If you couldn't get calls, then you put a pole up. No calls, get a pole up. So I'm like, I don't know, removed at least myself from the whole pole thing. But I just put one up. You can play NFL football, but have to play your entire career in one of these cities below. Choose wisely. Now you have the option of Pittsburgh. Cincinnati, or Detroit. And I wonder if Pittsburgh runs away with it just because of the NFL team. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Pittsburgh is a better city to play in than Cincinnati and Detroit, or even Cincinnati and Detroit combined. I think what it means is you've got this complete, I don't know, disarray, to chaos in at least two and a half of these organizations. And the Steelers definitely survived, and the Steelers were close to making the playoffs and salvaged a lot out of nothing, don't get me wrong. But we're talking about Pittsburgh. We're talking about the city of Pittsburgh. Cincinnati, Detroit, that's tough. To be honest with you, Trevor, I think, and I put the poll up at Shander Show, We'll go out to San Francisco in eight minutes and get the Niners side of how they're dealing and preparing with 
the biggest sports story coming into the NFL, and that's Kirk Cousins leading the Vikings to town. But I think it's Cincinnati. Here's the thing. I think playing for the Bengals in Cincinnati is the worst of those combinations. And I guess, God, am I really overlooking Detroit, though? I wonder how much I might be overlooking Detroit. Now, Mike Savage 610 raises an interesting point where if you're going to do this selfishly, since this is a hypothetical, right? It does make sense to go, at least if you're from this area like myself and Mike are, it does make sense to go Pittsburgh because you're closer. Mikey heads. (laughs) Hernandez, nowhere, F that. That's because you're used to Houston and uh, the torrential downpours and hurricanes that you get. I get it. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about Detroit is I don't know what city has more. Like, what city has more to offer? I know Pittsburgh because I'm in Pennsylvania, and you've just been to PA, and you live in PA. You've been to both cities, and Pittsburgh is a smaller city. And while there's some quaint areas and the food is decent, it's not Philly good, but it's decent to good, it gets old fast. That's a small area that you're living in. You're out in the suburbs, and even then, everything is kind of more removed the more outside you are from downtown. And and there isn't a humongous downtown area. A lot of it, from what I remember, you know, built up on hills outside of the actual downtown Pittsburgh area. So it's not like you're in this thriving metropolis. Metropolitan Detroit versus Metropolitan Cincinnati. Now, that's an interesting one. That's a battle. So I imagine people will say Pittsburgh on the poll simply because it's going to be an easier place to play. Like, they trust the franchise. And already I see it. People piling in on this. Pittsburgh is leading 82.5%. It's early. Early votes are in right now, but still returns, as they say, in the election. Detroit, number two, at 12.5%. Cincinnati at 5%. (laughs) And I kind of expected that nobody would show a lot of love for Cincinnati. Maybe because the team, like, do people really trust the Lions that much more than they trust the Bengals? You're stuck in a bad climate either way in all three of these cities. I hate to break it to you out there, but there's no redeeming quality at any of these places, at any of these cities, to where you're going to get some good warmth from an extended period of time. That's the difference. When you're looking at maybe Pittsburgh getting some warmth, no, 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 or something in the summertime off of the lake up in Detroit, uh uh-uh. You're getting cold, you're getting snow, you're getting dumped on, a ton of that crap. It's not going anywhere. And I think people are choosing Pittsburgh for two reasons on this poll. First and foremost, because I do admittedly have a lot of stuff in and around my Twitter feed from people in Philadelphia, so they would just assume, oh, Pittsburgh, because it's close, or oh, Pittsburgh, because I know it. And I also think for the people that are voting, there are a lot of folks out there who believe, well, the Steelers are simply just a better team. It's a completely better program, if you will, organization. It's better run from the top down. There's more stability there, all of that. 
Cincinnati losing percentage, as is Detroit, to Pittsburgh as this thing continues to update. Pittsburgh now over 85% on this poll. At Shander Show is how you get it. We'll go out to San Francisco coming up next. Again, at Shander Show on Twitter and the Maze and Aton channel on Twitch. Cincinnati has a lot of different stuff there that I don't know if there's enough outside of the Bengals that would draw you. Are the Reds, is there enough from a college football and basketball? Are the Bearcats going to be enough? Cincinnati's another one. I lived in Columbus, and I had to drive through Cincinnati a couple of times to go south. Or when I was in Nashville going up north, I had to drive through Cincinnati a couple of times, and it was forgettable, to say the least. I don't mean to be bashing these places, but I did think it was kind of interesting to compare the three, especially because if you're playing football, you're a star, you're a celebrity, and it may not help. Does it really matter if you're a celebrity in Detroit right now? We'll go to San Fran next. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. Uh, we spoke with Rich Madrid before about the Niners' run heading into the playoffs, how they would spend the bye week that they've earned this year, not really knowing, of course, who they would take on, who they would play. And now it's come to light that they have to deal with this fireball of emotion led by the most improbable of names in Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. But the Niners have done it a bunch of different ways this year, far from a team that I think people are counting out by any means, especially because, as I mentioned, it's Kirk Cousins, of all people, coming to town. So we bring back Rich Madrid, who kindly has a couple of minutes to join us, at Rich J. Madrid on Twitter. You can follow him along, Niners Nation, Football Zebras as well. Rich, Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Appreciate the time tonight. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Are you happy? Uh, are you excited? Do you speak for the majority of people in San Francisco that, uh, of all people, you guys get to tee off on Kirk Cousins this weekend? Uh, I'm not really too excited about it. I think I said last week that I thought they were one of the better matchups the 49ers could face just because of a similarity that Zimmer has with the same type of offense, you know, given the fact that he has Kubiak there advising him on his staff. So I think their defense is going to be ready for anything that Shanahan might dial up. I still think the Niners are going to win, but it's going to be tough. I, I do think they're one of the better matchups they could, could have potentially faced um, with or without Kirk Cousins. You know, it just depends on which Cousins is going to show up, I guess. Very fair. And to be honest, it's not like we got the Cousins that showed up last weekend quite often in his career. Right. So that kind of looking into that then, Rich, what do the Niners do right away? Like, what is the game plan, in your opinion, right off the bat? If it's something on offense to help the defense, if it's something defensively aggressive that ensures you get the typical Kirk Cousins this weekend? So earlier this week, I wrote about how Quan Alexander was probably going to be um, the biggest factor they have coming back this week. He was activated today to the roster from IR, and he's going to be out there, hopefully, 
at least maybe 75, 80% of what he was before he got hurt. You know, who knows what the injuries he has, how, how effective he'll be. But just getting him back there is a huge boost for the defense. And one of the things that I researched when I was looking into it was that before he went out, they were surrendering, I think, an 80.1 passer rating to opposing quarterbacks on play action, meaning that they were doing pretty well in stopping it, um, not not letting any big gains, you know, forcing incompletions and things like that. Then after he went out, they were surrendering 111.9, I believe it was, um, to opposing quarterbacks on play action. So one of the big things they struggled with while he was out was play action, and the Vikings run a lot of – play action so getting him back is i think going to help on that end uh and you look at the ability on offense to and we talked about this last week rich where it's just twofold right you have the ability in san francisco with kyle shanahan to move the ball fast rapidly down the field in the air you also have a great run game with multiple backs that you can rely on is this a matter of trying to control clock while getting up and keeping guys like Diggs and maybe even if it's a banged-up feeling off the field? I think so. I think they're going to try to take their shots downfield. There's there's a few things that the Vikings don't do well, and they reside. That, that problem resides with their two corners, Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes, who haven't been playing that well this year. They've given up a lot of big passes down the sidelines, down the deep middle of the field, things like that. And what Minnesota's really tried to do is, on obvious passing downs, is play the sing- or the two high safeties and try to give them help over the top. And even in some of those cases, it hasn't worked too well. For whatever reason, they're just not playing as well as they were, you know, even last year. So I think they're going to try to take some deep shots like that and create some other, you know, matchup problems like maybe putting Kittle or getting him on Anthony Barr and seeing what he can do because teams. You know, just going back and watching some of the similar offenses like McVay's with the Rams and what Scandarello and the Broncos did this year to them, they really like to put their faster tight ends on Anthony Barr. So I I don't know if they want to necessarily limit the amount of time it takes per drive to go down and score because as Shanahan has shown, he can put together a, a 20-something play drive like he did against the Cardinals where they – you know, they ate up 11 minutes and scored a touchdown, or you can go down in three plays and it can be lightning quick. I guess it just depends on the game situation. But I do think they've potentially got it. They're in a spot where they can create a lot of different matchup problems for that Vikings defense. You mentioned Alexander's return from the bye week. Is there anybody else of note that is either coming back or maybe more importantly, Rich, is benefiting from having that time off, especially when you look at now the backdrop of the matchup against Minnesota. Oh, absolutely. They're getting the Kwasi Tart back, the strong safety, and he was out with a rib injury since, I believe, week 14 against the Saints. Okay. And then, or maybe no, it was against Baltimore when he went out. And they're still unsure of what's, so they're getting Alexander and, and Tart back, but they're still unsure of what's going to happen with D Ford. Today it was reported that he was going to be a game-time decision again after he practiced all week. And the thinking is if he still feels tightness in his hamstring tomorrow before the game, then they're not going to play him. So you're potentially getting two of the three guys back that they were counting on. The third one, we just don't know. It's going to be a game-time decision. 
Rich Madrid joining us. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich J Madrid. Niners Nation, Football Zebras, NinersNation.com, Eitan Shander, SB Nation Radio. Uh, what's the mood like now, just a- as far as the team? You know, we talked about this kind of last week, Rich, is the overall feel of the city and the fan base bubbling up to the playoffs. But now this week that they know who the opponent is and it's back to work, is it just typical business, tight-lipped, focused, or do you get a kind of a loose feel from this team heading into this game? It looks as though they're treating it as any other week, and I think that's kind of the right approach. They don't want to be so hyped up that they come out and make mistakes because they're nervous and they don't want to totally come out flat like they did against the Falcons because they were kind of taking it easy, um, which was some of, some of the comments that the players had admitted. You know, they just they needed to – work harder during the week, I guess, that week. So it looked like from all the, the clippings and the, the tape that I saw from some of the beat reporters out there that they were, they seemed upbeat, you know. Some of the same guys were dancing around on the field like they normally do during warm-ups and getting ready for the for the practice, and things seemed upbeat. Players seemed ready to go. Um, no news is good news as far as injuries, so I think they're ready it's great you know, to see this team because there really are multiple ways, right, in which they've won games this year. Do you anticipate, and we talked a little bit about the ball control early on and, and maybe if they want to keep guys like Diggs and, and Thielen off, but you also said that you expect them to go down the field. Who do you think is going to be? Is it a simple George Kittle type domination game? Do you anticipate some creativity with Samuel kind of taking over? Who do you think is going, or is it just Garoppolo spreading it around, maybe Mostert in the background? Who would be the key factor on offense that has the biggest day from like a stat slash even fantasy standpoint, Rich? Uh, I honestly think it could be any one of them, any one of Debo, Sanders, Kittle, you know, even Mostert on the ground because there's They've done so much this season that they put so much on tape that they've shown the versatility that Sanahan likes. And you, you can get Sanders on one of these corners and take one or two deep shots and get one or two big plays out of it, and then you can come right back and get Kittle on bar somehow and get him across the field where bars in a situation where you can't cover him one-on-one, and you've got another big play. So there, there's ripe, they're ripe for the taking there. There's big play potential everywhere against that defense. You know, that's provided they can contain the pass rush of probably two of the best, you know, pass rushers in the league with Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin. Um, if they can do that, then they shouldn't have any problem moving the ball, you know, especially against some of the things the Vikings like to do. Yeah, and I, and I imagine now with Dalvin Cook healthy, it, it's going to be, I, I would think, now I don't know because they might come out and maybe do something contrarian, but it would be probably not, put the ball in Kirk Cousins' hands more than Dalvin Cook's hands, right? I would think so. I would think they're going to utilize a lot more play action than they normally do. Uh, you know, when Week 16, the 49ers faced quite a, quite a bit of play action with the Rams and Goff and taking the ball out of Goff's hands and letting the rest of the offense do the work. I could definitely see a situation where the Vikings do that with Cousins and getting him on some of the quicker rollouts and letting him Throwing guys that are open on play action or throwing it back to Cook or throwing Cook on the screen or something. Just something where they don't have to rely on taking too many 
you know, risky throws downfield with Thielen and Diggs. I would imagine that those guys are going to be heavily bracketed most of the game. All right, last one for you, Rich, and, and really always appreciate the time. Again, at Rich J. Madrid on Twitter, Niners Nation, Football Zebras, NinersNation.com. When you look ahead, and I get it, it's not like last week, right, where you guys were going up against air. You actually have a football team to play against on Saturday. But when you look at the other matchup, is there any favorite? And, again, I understand the difference of hosting, right, when you're talking about Green Bay and Seattle. But there's a divisional opponent in Seattle that knows you well, that's red hot on the road. And then there's also the typical chalk in Green Bay. Does either one of those teams prevent a better or maybe even significantly more favorable matchup for San Francisco? I think it's the Packers without a doubt. They've already shown that they can easily handle the, the Green Bay Packers. I think the Seahawks is what everybody wants to see, though, from you know maybe from the league standpoint and the type of ratings that would draw on TV. But you know, for me and I think the rest of the fan base, I think we kind of want the easier path, and I think that entails you know Green Bay coming to San Francisco rather than Seattle. Um, obviously, you know, getting another, getting a third match with Seattle this year would be equally awesome and amazing and probably a good game, but you know, it's it's the playoffs. I'd rather just see the team have an easier path. Awesome, Rich. Appreciate it, man. So they cover, they win, they cover the spread. I assume you have them winning. Do they cover that seven points? Yeah, I wasn't crazy about the the spread. I mean plus seven seems or you know, minus seven seems it's a lot in the playoffs. High. Yeah. Um, they haven't they haven't beaten a team by more than five or six points in a little over a month. So maybe maybe that's right. You know, Vegas typically knows what they're doing, but <laughs> right, you know, all week seven seemed kind of high to me. They're not right but, all the time. That's why we go to people like you who cover the team and can give us some insight. Yeah, I, I think they I, I think they can cover it. I, I think they will. Awesome, Rich. Thank you so much, and thanks again for everything. Your time, your insight, your service as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You got it, man. All right, we'll wrap the show. Coming up next, at Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter, the Twitch channel, cooking as well. It's SB Nation Radio. Beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. Detroit is a pretty heavy favorite on the Twitch channel. It's interesting. I guess it's because it's indoors. That's why I would play in Detroit. Right? Like, what else could possibly yeah, go Yeah, but wrong? here's the thing, Jack. You're right. You would play as an NFL player in Detroit because you're indoors. But that's the thing is 
you're still dealing with a much colder and much more brutal winter than those other two, maybe even those other two combined. Mm, honestly, Detroit, if Detroit's I also a miserable, like Cincinnati, I guess is miserable too, right? Detroit at least has a little more history to it. Not that Cincinnati has no history, but I'm just saying, why would there be outside of the dome? Let's start there, Jack. Outside of the dome, why go to Detroit over Cincinnati? I don't have an answer. So I, this is not a leading question. So feel free to say, I don't know. I don't know Cincinnati. I have no idea because I don't have anything behind this to back it up with, oh, you should have picked it. I have no idea. I just assume that they're both miserable, they're both cold, and they're both dark for a, a lot of the year. I'd say Detroit for less pressure. You go out, you play, you get paid. No one expects you to win. Everyone just expects you to go out there, give it your all, and go take your millions and live elsewhere. Yeah, but isn't that the case in Cincinnati? Is anybody really expected to live in downtown Cincinnati if you play for the Reds or Bengals? Probably not. But you know what? <laughs> Cincinnati does have one of the best amusement parks, Kings Island. Yeah, you're again on this. You've brought this up. Now, again, I brought up the King's Dominion down in Virginia, but King's Island can't be better than Great Adventure or one of those parks down in Florida, right? It's a it's a really good park. they got a lot of good roller coasters. It's one of my bucket list parks. Okay. But if I had to pick, I'll go Steelers. Me, I'm thinking right now... Uh, Steelers for the team. I can't live in Cincinnati. I can't live in Detroit. I guess I'd have to live in, like, Philadelphia and commute to Pittsburgh. Back 6 to 9 Eastern Saturday night on Escondition Radio.